Welcome to the Millennials Unpublished Podcast, where we talk about everything from gaps in the literature to gaps in society. Thank you for joining us for another episode. This is Jaslyn. And this is Darren. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for, you know, being with us last week. We back. We back. We <laughs> Last week, we, you know, had other things to do. <laughs> but oh, now we're back again. Not necessarily no. more important than this. It's just life was all consuming. But we can cover that in, I guess, how we've been doing. Yeah. So I always ask you first, so I don't have to go first. So how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Me, the line leader. Um, yes. I'm better. I've been very overwhelmed and stressed and anticipating all the big changes. Uh, I I think I texted you yesterday and was like, mm-hmm. you know, I thought I might consider being a big girl and hiring movers. And the quote, <laughs> that quote, <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. Um, there's also a lot of regulations and rules around um, moving between states right now because of COVID and particularly moving yeah. in or out of New York City. That's true. My first thought or was just this anti-Blackness that Black people feel as though we have to move our own stuff because no, I'm <laughs> um, no. I mean, I, I have I have family and friends, right? I, can, I know. I'm being messy. I can lean, lean on community. Yeah. Um, I wish I was up there to help you. <laughs> I mean, it's okay because then once I move, I'll be closer to you and everybody else. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be great. Looking forward to it. Um, how about you? How are you doing? I'm fine, I guess. I have a slight headache, but I think that's my own fault. So <laughs> we're working through that. Uh, we're going to edit that out, but I'm fine. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the lies I tell. Lies that you tell. Oh, we're giving you realness today. Um, I'm fine. I have a headache, but like, I guess I'm good or whatever else. I was a little anxious, but I was in nature, which helped a lot. Like, I feel like we have to go outside. I, I was focusing on my breathing. I realized that like, you know, sometimes I have to, you know, smell. Like when I tell myself I need to smell, it reminds me to breathe because I'm like putting my attention to like my breath. I don't know if that's weird, but it helped me. So I think I mean, weathering- it sounds like, like you're one with your body. Yeah, weathering the elements, you know, brings me outside of my mind space. So like being outside, being in the wind, looking at the river. Okay, um, flower people. child. Yes, I'm a flower, I'm a soft, you know, flower child, you know. <laughs> I'm channeling. Who was that? Was it, was it Frank? I don't know who it was. Where it's like, I love those pictures of like, I think it's like black guys or black people uh, with like the flowers in their hair, like the little cup. Oh, yeah, I know stuff. what you're talking like, about. I just love seeing Ooh. black people. <laughs> adorned in that way adorned adorned come let me adorn you we're, we're, we're getting you off track Miguel? oh yeah we are listen, listen. i saw miguel live that man listen. looks into your soul that man is he's gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> we are off topic we are yes okay uh, it's been a while we'll rein it in we'll rein it in. we'll rein it in maybe we should get to our topic you know under review for this week let's do it So this week, our topic under review, we're discussing anti-Semitism. So we called it, let's talk about anti-Semitism. So I don't know if you want to start us off. I think you have some things that to, to get to. Yeah, man. So first, I guess we should talk about where the topic idea came from. Not that it's something new, but I think Nick Cannon was under fire recently for some mm-hmm. anti-Semitic, some alleged anti-Semitic statements. Oh. I did not oh. hear them. I don't know what's going on. It's just in something that's been buzzing around. Um, 
I was watching a For Harriet like public forum and mm. people were just kind of discussing and I thought it would be a really awesome conversation for us to have um, both amongst ourselves and then with the listeners. And I think it's important just to say that we both are very uneducated on the topic. Uh, that's the point of this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, so an idea that came up too was to also have um, some of our Jewish friends come on if they feel comfortable to come and talk about some of these things that we'll cover. Uh, and again, that's expanding the conversation. Um, we're all learning and growing. So with that in mind, I'll go ahead and I'll define anti-Semitism as this organization has laid out. So anti-Semitism is the belief or behavior hostile toward Jews just because they are Jewish. It may take the form of religious teachings that proclaim the inferiority of Jews, for instance, or political efforts to isolate, oppress, or otherwise injure them. It may also include prejudiced or stereotyped views about Jews. So with that in mind, we're going to hold that in our working memory yes. and we're going to take that and roll on into our discussion. So I, the first topic is essentially, well, what do we know about anti-Semitism and how did we come to obtain this said knowledge? Uh, do you want to kick it off, Darren? Yeah. So for me, I think learning about it came at school, I guess, for the most mm -hmm. part, because like I, I remember um, I had one teacher, you know, who was like a super great proponent of me and like other students. And I was dealing with issues in terms of, I think it was like blackness where like, I think the school system didn't want me to advance, I think to the GT courses. Remember GT? Yes. Gifted the gift, and Talented. Yeah, yeah. The Gifted and Talented courses. And my mom was not having that <laughs> because my mom is a pro-black advocate <laughs> for, all, for her children, for everyone always. Love you, mom. Love her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I remember my teacher, I don't want to put her name out there, but my teacher um, was Jewish and my mom spoke with the teacher and she told my mom how to sort of work the system and fight the system so that I could have access to those GT courses. So I think one of my first memories of learning about Jewish people in particular was learning about um, that teacher. But my first understandings of anti-Semitism, I think, were in school when we started to, un to read and end... I think it was, yeah, reading like Anne Frank, reading Ellie Wiesel. You read a lot of books about the Holocaust. And yeah. So I think it was like reading those sources where I started to learn about in school, like what anti-Semitism is and how it harms people. So mm -hmm. I think it was like those two things. So I guess I answered a bit more, but learning about sort of Judaism like through mm -hmm. that experience with my mom and that teacher and then learning about um anti-Semitism through like those books and reading in, in, in school. What about for you? So like primary and secondary education was where you kind of got the... Oh, look at you naming it in academic. <laughs> <laughs> I work with the children. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, yeah, what about you? So for me, I think I had a similar... I mean, we went to school in the same yeah, district. We went yeah. to the same high school. Um, those reading lists were very heavy on Holocaust-centered or Jewish experience-centered books. Um, additionally, my... Was it sophomore year of college? I took mm -hmm. a religious studies course called mm -hmm. Jesus, Mani, and Muhammad. Interesting. And I think... I think that's the name of it, but we talked about Judaism, um, Islam, and we talked about Chris Christianity. I learned a lot about the similarities, the roots, all of that. It was a really fascinating course, um, but I think for me, what I essentially know about anti-Semitism is 
the long history of it, which is a very, this is kind of rolling into the next section, but it's, it's a very Roll. stark difference. <laughs> rolling. <laughs> rolling. <laughs> Um, it's a very stark difference between, um, the education I had about anti-blackness, anti-black, uh, racism and all that sort of stuff. I can, I can off the top of my head talk about Christian anti-Semitism, medieval Europe and modern Europe anti-Semitism, of course, the Holocaust and even anti-Semitism in our modern times in the U.S. So I think... I've been educated more so on anti-Semitism than I have on anti-Blackness. Interesting. So from that, like, you made me have a thought where I felt like in terms of learning about anti-Semitism, I started to understand that I learned about anti-Semitism in the, in the context of, like, the Holocaust. That's how I learned about it. <laughs> so most of the narratives that I've learned about, like, Judaism or Jewish people has been through, like, I guess they're suffering. So I don't know what I, like, I, I'm just like, that seems pretty horrible. <laughs> but... Um, that, that connected the dots for me. But I guess you're speaking about anti-Blackness as well. I think for a lot of the conversations, if I'm going to be real with you, like, <laughs> we're going to be real. I feel, like real, a lot real. Of the, I feel like a lot of the conversations I hear, at least in the Black community, around sort of like Judaism and stuff, or I, maybe just speak from my own vantage point or whatever else, are people being like, these people are still white. So, you know, what do you uh, mean that they have this anti-Semitism? They can still walk around and do whatever they need to do and go down the street and they're still white. So that's what I've heard. What I think about it is that, like, I think that Jewish people experience oppression, <laughs> like, of course, because they have historically. And I I was reading sort of um, Adam Eli's The New Queer Conscience. Um, he's an activist who's Jewish and queer at the same time. Um, and he talks about, like, the linking between, like, the queer community and the the Jewish community, but I was thinking about it a bit more. And I think that some of the ways that people might, I don't know, but might experience anti-Semitism is the ways that maybe they can't be because they've been so violently, you know, treated throughout history. So maybe some of the things they can't put on or they can't wear or they can't identify themselves as Jewish are are things that contribute to the anti-Semitism. But I don't know. But that's just, I'm just giving you the real. I'm just giving you the real. When I hear about like the the anti-Blackness, like, I I don't know if it's hitting on it, but I'm just, yeah. I think that probably stems from the ways in which um, the mistreatment, the oppression, and the massacre of Jewish people has been treated thereafter. Mm. Um, there has been a lot more caution. There's a lot more cautiousness around talking about the experiences of Jewish people. Um, a lot of Jewish people received reparations. For what happened in the holiday. Yes. Um, I, I don't think Germany went broke, but they definitely paid out big time. Um, and so there, there's just been a lot more care and attention and meaning making out of the experiences of Jewish people, which I think that's great. I feel no type of way, but I think a lot of Black people who may be espousing those sentiments about, oh, you know, they're so white. I, I, I think you see that in their, in their treatment. Um, it is important to note that I, for the longest time, was like, well, Judaism is a religion, but for, you know, a lot of people, it's it's more than that. And I learned that in that religious studies course. Gotcha. Um, and also, my undergrad, University of Maryland, had a very large Jewish population. So I actually have had Jewish roommates. Um, so we can talk more about that. But I think yeah. a lot of the, oh, they're white. And so they can exist however they want to. That A lot of that comes from the fact that they've been, their experiences have been handled differently. And when they experience anti-Semitism, it's called out and it's reprimanded. 
Interesting. So yeah, something I was thinking of that doesn't hit on what you were saying. I'm just processing what you're saying. But um, I think it's like a linking too of like maybe like blackness and sort of Jewishness. I had this conversation with like a friend on the phone. That's not relevant. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. but basically we're talking about the use of the term ghetto, which as far as I understand, um, was, was a place where they would send sort of Jewish people basically before they experienced violence and were killed and were massacred and, and it and was devoid of resources and different things. But how that term is now used a lot of times to apply to black people um, at times, like I, I, I just sometimes I'm like, I don't know how to feel about this, but it was a linking that like I was discussing with a friend. So I'd love to hear people's thoughts about that. But I was like, hmm. Like, I, I've heard this term used all the time, but, like, I never really thought back through, like, the origin of where that term comes from and how it's being used. And that makes me think, like, oops, should I use the term? <laughs> should I not use the term? I honestly don't know. But that was, like, a linking between Blackness and, like, maybe sort of, like, Judaism. But I guess it's maybe the Holocaust. Maybe it's not even Judaism. I think you hit on something really important about shared experience and commonality. Um, I actually went to look it up because, again, I feel like, we have a bunch of knowledge in our head, but like the specific facts aren't necessarily there. Um, I looked yeah. it up and <laughs> in September 1952, West Germany paid Israel a sum of 3 billion marks over the next 14 years and 450 million marks were paid to um, the World Jewish Congress. So that's that was the reparations agreement um, between Did, Germany. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was saying, I wonder if that went to like... I wonder who it went to, you know, like, like, was it evenly distributed across, like... The payments were made to the state of Israel and as the heir to those victims who had no surviving family. So I guess the money went to um, the victims themselves, the survivors. Um, don't mean to say victims, the survivors. Um, and then those that didn't have surviving family, the money was just put into the community at large, which... In 1952, I don't know the conversion. I don't know any of that, but we're talking billions back in 1952. That's money. That's still money today. So um, I I think when we talk about a lot of the things that Black people are asking for and reimagining and imagining, I don't even think there needs to be much imagination when you look at um, another minoritized group Mm. uh, and how they were addressed and I guess I don't know yeah like I guess that that makes sense where it's sort of like with their oppressed group that's experiencing stuff and and still experiences stuff but like maybe using like the framework for how they were able to move forward if they're able to move forward you know to pull up everybody you know (laughs) like like, that's what it sounds like to me like I I feel like that sounds (laughs) non-problematic but I'm not sure I also think too like in I know the conversation is winding a little bit, but I also think it, it seems to be complicated as well because um, I remember watching this movie, which was dealing with like queerness and dealing with like uh, like the Holocaust specifically. And as far as I understand, a lot of people who are openly sort of like LGBTQ could also be Jewish as well. Um, I believe they had this this pink patch that they had to wear on sort of like the thing like the yeah. Um, I'm struggling even with the language, but the the uniforms that they had to wear. Um, And I I know, yeah, and I know there was persecution, not only sort of of like Jewish folks, but also queer people and like also to those aren't mutually exclusive. So both people (laughs) as well. So um, that's something that makes me think that this is largely just like intermeshed together with the struggles of like many different groups. So like the struggles of queer people are the struggles of like Jewish people as far as I understand and the struggles of, of, 
other folks are, are, are intertwined with that history. In talking about this, I don't want it to seem like we're taking away from the experiences, um, but I do want to highlight the fact that there were Black people in the concentration camps as well. There was persecution of Black people in Nazi Germany at the time, and that's not really discussed. Um, I, I I think I've maybe read one story in school, and yeah. again, this we is something... And, and there's a lot of disbelief and dismissiveness around that. Um, I, I just... Yeah, I think... Because, you know, Germany had, Af- like, they had colonies in Africa. Like, they they also were part of the slave trade. There are Black Germans today. There were Black Germans then. And in a essentially white supremacist system of Nazi Germany, obviously the non- other non white people like black people were persecuted as well yeah and like and that's not to say too that there there aren't like black jewish people because there's a lot of black jewish people i guess we're, and we we're need to talk about that persecuted. no i i have i have so aren't there, there's ethiopian are, there's ethiopian jewish people like there are um there's also yeah. <laughs> through marriage through whatever, there's lots of ways to be a black jewish person yeah and i anecdotally i don't know statistics i don't know anything else but i have heard stories and narratives about how Black Jewish people are received by their um, non-Black Jewish counterparts. And mm. there is some sort of like like lack of acknowledgement and acceptance and all of that in there. So I also think that in talking about anti-Blackness and anti-Semitism, we need to talk about anti-Blackness in the Jewish community as well. Um, and something that I've experienced recently because I've been looking for apartments, um, a lot of the buildings in Brooklyn in particular are owned by Jewish people. And I'd heard horror stories of like, oh, you know, some lords are just like not being received well. Right. What I experienced when I went, which it made me sad and I reflected a lot on this, was that yeah. respectability politics are, are, are like a part mm-hmm. of the community. Well, and so when I came and it's like, oh, like I'm a PhD student, blah, blah, blah. I, I was immediately received very welcomely and it's just, yeah. so it's just like, okay, well, the same sort of like anti-blackness, respectability politics thing that you kind of see with, um, European white people, you kind of see that with them too, where it's like, oh, if you're doing something respectable or you exist in a respectable way, you're going to be treated differently. So, um... Yeah. yeah. No, and, like, I think that that's incredibly fair to say because I know Jewish... I'm not going to call nobody out, but I... (laughs) (laughs) I know Jewish people who have been anti-Black to me. (laughs) Like, it's not an ideology. (laughs) Like, it's just, like, I don't have to go and read a book to understand that Jewish people perpetuate (laughs) anti-Blackness because it's happened to me and there's people who I know. (laughs) So, you know, I I also think that's a weird thing too that happens with a lot of these conversations where like they become super ideological about like this this imaginary of the Jewish person or this imaginary of the Black person, how they interact. It's like, no, some people have said some stuff to me that's been messed up. (laughs) Perpetuated some some very anti-Black ideologies like who have identified openly as Jewish. (laughs) Like, so that's how I know that there's anti-Blackness that's there. It's not something that I need to go in. <laughs> you know, I do need to read and educate myself, of course, but I can say what I, I experience as anti-Blackness. <laughs> something else, though, is that um, we, I think we should talk about capitalism as well when we're having these conversations about Jewish people as well, because I think um, a lot of times it's not clear to people like let's let's take like hip-hop for example a lot of record labels a lot of producers a lot of whomever in the industry there are a lot 
lot of Jewish people who have like stakeholdings, they represent people, they are immersed in black culture. And I think when we talk about capitalism and cultural appropriation and um, commodifying black bodies and experiences, Jewish people are a part of this and they don't- Accountable. (laughs) I want to hold everyone accountable. Everyone, ourselves. (laughs) And that's why I want to talk about it because I, I don't think people realize how pervasive that is. And a lot of times it's just like blank statement of, oh, white people. But I think we need to, we need to like pinpoint specific examples so that way we can work through the issues. And again, I don't put any malice on anyone. Yeah. I just think it's funny that a lot of Jewish people have like stakeholdings in black culture, but they're not there when we're like literally crying out for help or the ways in which they can use their social and financial capital to help affect change. I don't, I don't see it. And I would love for a conversation around that to happen. Yeah. I think, yeah, I don't even feel like I need to say anything else, (laughs) but yeah, it's all love, but I think love and accountability go hand in hand. So it makes for a happy home. Yeah. It makes for a happy home. So like, it's, it's, it's hard. I'm struggling right now because I'm like, oop, there's examples, but I'm not trying to out people. <laughs> I mean, make it you know, as, as big my, as possible. That's my, that's my queerness. That's my queerness coming out where it's like, I don't out people. <laughs> you oh. see that queer culture? Do you feel it? Um, but, like, <laughs> um, but just like a lot of things I think that have been said at times where people aren't thinking about other people, just at surface level, where they're mm-hmm. saying something and, and they're not thinking about other people or they, it seems as though they, they, they don't even have a community that, that looks like, basically, I know a lot of people who up to me appear to be like whiter or light skin, I don't know, or whatever else, who literally do not talk to anyone black, like, or who do not, <laughs> or like don't have different communities, you know? And it's so strange to me because I feel like we talk about race and we talk about whiteness and we talk about how a lot of white people, you know, don't have communities you know, that are outside of their own community, you know? And I feel like when I see people who just do not interact with Blackness, but are only interacting with Blackness in ways that benefit them, you know, like that's that's the issue to be. So I'm over here. I'm tiptoeing a little bit, but I I, I don't I don't know, Jaslyn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're talking yourself into like a, <laughs> a kerfuffle right now. A little um, kerfuffle. Like my politics is not wanting to out people, but... <laughs> But I just think it needs to be talked about and discussed. And I think this will push the needle forward because people will talk about it. <laughs> um, I don't want really... to be held accountable in the same sense. So if I'm saying something, anything, whatever else, I'll do it. <laughs> that's how we do it here. <laughs> um, and I, I want, again, I want to go back and highlight the fact that we are aware that um, Jewish people don't necessarily consider themselves white and it's not even a conversation. It's not something that's not. But we're talking about proximity to whiteness in this conversation and the benefits again of Thank like you for that clear yeah. Following up and supporting these oppressive systems. Like in that way you're aligning yourself with anti-blackness, white supremacy when right. you do partake in these systems. And you, you don't even have to be white to do that. And that's something that I yes. think this conversation is really highlighting because a lot of the times when people talk about like purporting and uplifting and supporting white supremacy, they think of white men in robes <laughs> right. and, and like strange fruit. And they think about these very like one dimensional examples of white supremacy. But I, I think it's important to really yes. point out the fact that anyone can perpetuate white supremacist ideologies and systems. As a structure, yes. So 
the final thing, and this is the part where we would love to have a guest, maybe depending on again, comfort level, expertise, whatever else come in. Um, we wanted to talk about types of anti-Semitism because again, um, I, I'll preface this with the fact that when you're not a part of a particular press group, you don't really have a right to say what is or isn't oppressive, offensive, anything like that. Um, But it's really interesting that I, when I first thought about it, I was like, well, can I call out the markers of anti-Semitism? Can I come up with examples? Um, Like it's, it's interesting that I learned so much about this history, but I think I would pause to get definition of types of anti-Semitism. And I did a quick Google search and I found some things. And I think because a, a part of the reason why I have trouble naming it and naming types is because a lot of it is like people do it cowardly. So there's a lot of hiding behind like fake profiles online or like being on the dark web or again, people wearing hoods and stuff. Like it's a very, like people feel not necessarily ashamed consciously, but there's like a, you know, it's wrong. So when you do it, you don't want it to be known. So it's kind of covert in a way. Yeah. That, that I think that makes, makes sense to me because like, for me, I, I'm thinking about blackness and I'm thinking about how, if you're a white person and you're perpetuating anti-blackness, uh, how, you know, it's in your face, it's on our <laughs> statuses, it's on the TV show. We're telling you this, like it's everywhere. Like you literally, you can't find it. Maybe I, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't, see it as much because I'm a black person but to me it's literally everywhere <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the same personally of like anti-semitism but maybe that's like privilege showing or maybe that's my lack of education so for me I just want to know like where where it is I've, I've learned it sort of in books in school like I've read people I've listened to different podcasts but I, I think part of getting over that anxiety of speaking and saying something is like you know, having that knowledge. So I would agree with you where like, sometimes I do feel like it is a bit more covert and it's not like all these statuses that I see for for black lives. It's not like the blackout that happened completely across like the social media posts. It's not like these in your face on the news, like police brutality. We're literally show- like, like there's there's all of this sort of violence that's being shown. Um, Cause I know it's there because anti-Semitism is, I, I can't determine what it is, but it's, it's people are being <laughs> like killed. The people are experiencing violence. People are doing things and yeah. part of unpacking that and fighting for that um, or not for it, but fighting like with it, you know, I'm, I'm stumbling a little bit, but is like equipping, you know, ourselves it's and talking being able about to it. Recognize it and recognize then you it. Can take action following the recognition. Yeah. And um, I found this article on the Atlanta Jewish Times and it divides uh, Lipstadt, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, divides anti-Semites into four categories. So oh, okay. extreme, extremists, enablers, polite anti-Semites, and accidental anti-Semites. And I love this because you can uh, categorize racists in the same way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because, a framework. <laughs> because you know the well-intentioned person who's an accidental racist, um, there's the polite racist, there's the racist enabler, and the racist extremist, where they're just out here bold in your face about how they feel, and they don't care. So I really like these these sort of like fluid demarcations, I, I would call it, because people can fall into multiple categories or shift depending on the day. But um, something that also came up in here was the fact that there's a lot of 
conspiracy theories and stereotypes about Jewish people. And I think that's one of the very obvious ways to identify anti-Semitism when you talk about the stereotypes or the conspiracy theories surrounding Jewish people and their money, power, and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I think, like, when I was listening to, um, who who was it, Nick Cannon, like, I, like, people were like, this is anti-Semitic. I was like, true, okay, because, like, that's how my politics works. So I'm like, if someone says this, is a Jewish person says it's anti-Semitic, I'm like, that's anti-Semitic, <laughs> right? It's a wrap. I can't right. tell you. I it's can't a wrap. Tell you it I can't tell you. But what I've been trying to read and listen to is like, I'm trying to find like a conceptual framing, you know, like, and like doing the work and stuff. Like, I feel like for a lot of incidences of like anti-Black racism, you'll have people like, bam, 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 YouTube video out, four things, breaking down how this is anti-Black racism, give it out, you know, for anti-Semitism. I'm, I'm doing my own homework, but also too, I'm sort of like, I feel like there needs to be maybe more conversation, maybe like with, with black folks or, or more of these sorts of spaces to be like, okay, what's the bam, bam, bam of like what these issues are and how to address them. Like, as I sort of am doing my own self-work to help combat, to help, um, I don't want to say necessarily combat, but, but learn and, and be more affirming in my approach. Now, do you think this is like a symptomology of how Black people have to learn everything about the world to make it through? Because at the same time, I would love to invite any Jewish people who would like to learn more about the Black experience. Yeah. Um, like, I, I, I wonder if that same energy is there for Jewish people learning about the experiences of Black people and how to do better by us. So... I wonder if this is, again, like, we had to learn about whiteness to maneuver this world, and we had to learn about whomever else that right. we came into contact with just to survive. So, again, this is another thing that we're taking upon ourselves to learn. Not that it's necessarily a burden, but I wonder no, if yeah. other people are doing the same work on, for our sake as well. Yeah, and, like, I don't know. For me, like, I'm <clears throat> for everyone Black, and I'm like, okay, there's Black Jewish folk. All right, well, what we need to do. Like, like <laughs> just... What we need to do. So, I mean, I think the blackness is a centralizing experience, at least for me in my framework, of like this is this is the frame. There's black Jewish folk. Black Jewish folk are, are being treated poorly. There's queer people. There's queer Jewish folk who are being treated poorly. Like, what's up? You know, like that's that's how I go about it. <laughs> that's the way I work. So, I just I just want to have that energy because we can't have that. We can't have nobody experiencing that. Yeah. So, I don't know if that's a problematic viewpoint, but that's my viewpoint. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we on drive? that note, on yeah. that note, <laughs> um, I think that was a good discussion. Again, I'd like to invite people to contact us, let us know what they're thinking, send us any reading that would be really interesting or videos. Yeah, suggest people that you think would be a really great guest to come on. Yeah, we'll platform um, if, you. Yeah, if maybe it could even be a panel. I, I don't know, but I think it's important that we don't have these conversations in a bubble. Yeah, um, this conversation was about just expressing what we do and don't know because again we don't know everything um, but now we want to take the step further to continue to learn past our primary secondary post-secondary education <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know grow as citizens of this earth right yes yes thank you for that like let's get into our word on the street let's go Let's get into our word on the street. We were talking about protecting Black women. Uh, I said women instead of women, damn. <laughs> 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 talking about protecting Black women. Uh, and, 
Yeah, and I think, it, like, of course, to me saying this, I'm not over here like, protect Black women on my whole tap vibes. No, we're not doing that. Not doing that. <laughs> I, I will say that we have an early episode where we have a whole discussion on the topic uh, that came up on social media about protecting, again, quote unquote, protecting Black women. Um, and then responses that we, we saw from Black men. And I think maybe we should put that out soon. But uh, yeah. yeah. True. So we're going to talk about Michelle Obama and her curls are finally free. (laughs) 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 I'm a child. And Megan the Stallion, the Meg, the Stallion, uh, and the series of unfortunate events that have occurred with her lately. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Auntie Michelle first? Auntie Michelle, after all these years of oppression, her hair is finally free. (laughs) You know, I to look at her hair and I'd be like you know it doesn't look like it's relaxed but if it's that oh my lord you looked at it and Jasmine here's what you knew you said this is not liberation this is not liberation I said those curls want to come out yes they do and I I mean I have not been following her like that unfortunately I'm ashamed but I saw a post uh that she Mm. has a podcast coming out I'm excited love to see it and maybe, maybe she'll let us she'll let us come on her podcast. Oh, that would be dope, yo. Love maybe the... someday. Let's speak it into existence. But yeah. back on topic. So how do you in... feel about? Can we have another conversation? I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> about what? I was like respectability and like Obamas, you know? Oh, of we can have a there. whole Ooh. topic under review on that one. I want to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hit us on our um on our DMs if you want to hear that conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is the only time you're invited into our DMs, by the way. <laughs> Just so you know. Unless you're saying uh, I'm joking. <laughs> whoa, that was Darren, not me. No. Um, yeah, so basically in the IGTV where she's announcing it, she's got her natural hair out. And I was yes. like, wow, she was first lady for eight blessed long years. Wow. I never once saw her hair in its natural state. It was always yeah. shown. I don't think uh, I, I don't think I did either. I don't think I ever did. No, it was always straightened and quaffed and just, yeah. and it was laid. It looked good. And she talks about it a little bit, like I think in like uh, what do you call it, the documentary for becoming. Like, does she actually? I thought she I didn't about watch it. the documentary. I read some of the book, uh, listened to it, anyways. I don't yeah. really remember. I think maybe in childhood she might have talked about her hair a little bit when she was talking about her childhood. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, this is this is something that's like near and dear to me because I've been natural for a while and I always wear my hair natural. I got some mini braids in right now. Um, but I remember when I was doing my interview for Brown, I had went to my McNair director and I was like, oh, I'm thinking about straightening my hair. And she was like, why? She's black, by the way. She was like, why? Okay. She's like, you wear your hair like this all the time, right? Like you wear your puff. And I was like, yeah. She's like, go as you are. So they know what to expect. And I was like, you're right. And I did not straighten my hair for the interview. And of course I got in because I'm here talking about it now. But Mm. I think, I don't know her personally and what her preference is, but it seems like she's wearing her um, natural hair a lot now. And it's sad to think that she wouldn't have been able to express herself in that way and be herself in that way and wear her natural hair because Black women in professional, mm-hmm. quote unquote, white professional settings are, are, are not encouraged yeah. to wear their natural hair. 
Yeah, definitely. And then like even legal, like legally, like you could firing people over over locks, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It being legislation. And I shouldn't have to bring up the law to a friend. <laughs> <laughs> there shouldn't be a lot to allow black people to exist in the ways in which they naturally exist. Yeah, it, it shouldn't. And yeah, and I think like I was thinking a bit about sort of like black masculinity as like well and stuff too. And I think it's also a disservice too that there's a lot of like it's a lot of natural king. Now I'm joking, but, but oh <laughs> there's a lot of I don't want to gender, but there's a lot of natural people and natural folks who like don't know how to do their hair. Me. <laughs> Oh, we've had lots of conversations. Yeah, we've had talked this. about this. And Let's like, have a hair episode too. Okay, yeah, but all my point was just <laughs> that I think it's like everyone should have access to their to their hair, and I think for me, um, and learning a lot from you about like my hair, like I started to learn that my hair is is my hair, you mm-hmm. know. Therefore, I have to figure out what works for my scalp because yeah. your scalp is different from my scalp, and what grows for my scalp, you know, is is also. It's unique. So for me, I have to figure out what products work. And I didn't realize when people said like their hair journey, um, I wasn't listening to black women. I didn't understand. But no, but um, but their hair journey is literally like like a, a journey, you know, figuring out what works for them, what works for their hair, what works for their texture, those sorts of things, or, or femmes as well, to make the, this in the language. But yeah, I think it's important to for people to know how to do the hair and to not internalize things about their hair. Like your hair is not wrong, <laughs> you no. know? Like, no. instead of, like, me when I'm combing out my hair, feeling like, oh, my gosh, this is so horribly combed. Like, oh, gosh, I can't Wait, do this. Wait, save this for the hair episode, Darren. Oh, oh sorry. See, you're getting talking. off topic. Let me, let, me, let me clean it up real quick. Because clean it up. <laughs> clean up them edges real quick. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about protecting Black women. And, oh, well, I, I took up too much space. <laughs> But when we talk about protecting, I think people think about like physical brute force, like very macho masculine Mm -hmm. forms of protection. And protection can come in the form of making safe spaces and allowing people to be who they are completely and entirely. And so it's a form of protection to allow Black women to wear their hair however they want, to dress however they want, to exist and be as soft or as hard as whatever it is that they want to be. So when I saw this, this made me happy because I was like, oh, wow, look at you. After these eight oppressive years, <laughs> yeah. your curls are free. They're out. Right. Yeah, like gender self-determination. <laughs> like, like, yeah. So you can hey, wear your hair. Have you worn your hair? <laughs> okay, well, I mean, moving on to the good sis Meg. So I don't know the full details. I don't mm. really care to know the full details. But Megan the Stallion was shot in some sort of altercation. She released a statement about it um, after people had already gotten to the story. And they were making memes. They were making jokes out of right. it. Ha, 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 ha. And basically her statement was like, this is my life this is real and it's caused damage hurt trauma all of that and I did not partake in the jokes because I didn't really see any humor in the fact that this black woman was like violently assaulted in this way and it's just interesting because these same people were hollering about protect black women but when something happens to a prominent black woman at that you guys are kikiing making jokes it's all fun and games and it's like did you forget what you were talking about and this is why i want to like state about accountability and continually doing the work because it's one thing to read these things and understand mm-hmm. them in that moment. But then even in like the near future, if you can't enact those, those tenants that you learned, the work is not done and yeah. you are not this changed person. Um, a way of protecting black women is even if like 
let's uh, no one no one prevented her from being shot that that happened but yeah. after the fact in this healing time in in like making it through this protecting her would have been maybe maybe posts about the statistic about like assault and violence about black yeah. on black women <laughs> or like how traumatic it is and how prevalent gun violence is in this country yeah that's something and, that i've been i mean and a, I, I believe a black man shot her so um <laughs> Uh, Let's talk I'm just about saying that too. too. So I'm Let's saying for my siblings, for my pe- for my people, I'm also too like understanding who's who's perpetuating this violence, you know, that we see on on and on and on. For people who don't know, she was shot in the the foot, I believe. Um, and I mean, not that it's specific, not that it even matters, but just to give context, <laughs> like, just why why was he why did he shoot her? You know, what, why was he doing this? Like, was he not dealing with his own issues? You know, like, I think like the conversation too, as well, like in, in protecting black women, I'm putting up air quotes, but it's sort of, I think a lot of that is just like unpacking your own toxicity, you know, for a lot of like masculine, maybe man identified people. Um, and again, this is uncomfortable because like, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who were just like, Oh, you know, like they were learning all these things they're saying and doing all the right things, but come times of challenge, trial and tribulation, how did you respond? How did you react? What did you do? Did you cause harm? These are the things that you need to ask yourself. And this is not coming from a place of high hoarseness. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the fact that I think we need to address it. And it's easier when it's something mainstream um, in public like this, because you, people can take responsibility for their own individual actions in response to something like that yeah wow yeah (laughs) i think that's a show i think it is hey well thank you for joining us for another episode of millennials unpublished tune in each week as we all figure out life together Please continue to rate, subscribe, write a review, and share the podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, please shout us out on Instagram at Millennials Unpublished. As always, that's the two L's and two N's. I'm at Darren27. And I'm at John Jazz. Thank you again. And tune in next week. Bye. Bye.